Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Truth Be Told. This is Mike Gunn. I really appreciate you clicking on this podcast and listening in. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I've actually sat down at my desk to record something. The past few episodes have been messages that I also gave at church, and I just posted or uploaded the um, actual recording from services. So that's been, that was a little bit different. I, I liked it because they were shorter and um, kind of got to quick points and I'm trying to give something for everybody in this. I know a lot of you don't have full hours to listen to things or half an hour. Those were kind of 15 minute things, which this should be a little bit shorter of an episode today, but it's nice to be actually sitting at my desk intentionally recording something for you. I, I enjoy that process a lot, so I'm excited. I'm also excited because the topic we're going to be going over today is unplanned. I don't have really any notes for this beyond just a couple of verses of scripture Uh, that we'll be going through, but it was something that just kind of stuck with me as I was reading last night. I was reading The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a fantastic book. If you haven't heard of it or haven't read it, definitely pick it up. It is excellent. But there was just one part of this book specifically that just stuck with me as I was going to sleep and then all throughout the day today. And I thought, you know what, we're going to make a little change of plans and we're going to kind of walk through not necessarily the teaching that Bonhoeffer outlines in his book, but definitely we'll look through the lens that he looked at certain scriptures through. And hopefully that'll be enjoyable for you because, like I said, it's just been something that stuck with me um, all last night as well as all day today. So I'm really excited about this. And um, the topic will kind of start off in, I wouldn't say necessarily a difficult scripture, Um, I I do think people find ways to reconcile the scripture and they're perfectly fine ways, but we are going to start reading in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. So if you're turning with me, you can turn to Matthew 10 verse 32. If you're not, that's okay. I'll be reading it. So no worries. And what it says here is this is Christ talking and he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So this is a fairly difficult scripture. I think um, if you weren't a Christian and you were just reading that, you'd think, haha, I finally found a harsh passage of Jesus Christ to say that he wasn't perfect or he wasn't a great man pitting people against each other. And it actually, I think, sometimes gives Christians pause when they read this, he's bringing a sword, he's here to separate 
uh, father and son and mother and daughter, that's that's hard to hard to hear because you think family is a good thing. It's it's brought to us by God. It's God ordained. So why are you trying to separate these people out? And if we don't read this passage in the right light, it can seem difficult to reconcile. So most people do this by saying, well, Christ is clearly talking not about hatred the way we see it in our Western culture, but instead more of a love less by comparison. So you love Christ above all things. And that's a perfectly good way to look at that. It's There's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely true. I think, though, it still leaves something in our Western thinking minds that just says, ah, man, I still wish it were phrased a little bit differently. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to just look at this scripture through a different kind of lens so that then it, it is more palatable to us. Not because the Bible has to be palatable for it to be correct. Sometimes there are things Christ says that are hard to swallow, but you have to anyways. Truth is truth. But with this, I do think there's a lens we can look at it where we might understand it a little bit better and not walk away feeling like, ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense, but I, I wish it were phrased different still. So that's what we're going to kind of go through today. And in order to do this, we're going to actually pair it with a couple of different scriptures that don't typically get read um, with this. They're, they're not typically in tandem, but I think they're two concepts that will bring us clear understanding in this. So the thing we're going to pair with is 1 Timothy 2 in verse 5. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, but he's speaking about Christ. It says, or and, and God the Father, speaking about Christ and God the Father. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So this idea of Christ as a mediator is what I really, really want to focus on to get clarity in this scripture, because we don't want to walk away from this scripture thinking, well, Christ is here to separate out me from my family or me from my relationships in this world. He's not trying to do that. He is not trying to take them away and then never give them back to you. He is a mediator and he's not just a mediator. Obviously that scripture in first uh, Timothy points to him being a mediator between us and the Father, but he is also, as he says there, creating separation, or he is that separation. He is a divide between us and our fathers or mothers or mothers-in-laws or relationships here on this earth. And still, I think that can be hard to understand, hard to comprehend for us. Why would Christ want to get between us and good things like our families that he's ordained. But I think as we explore this topic of Christ being our mediator, um, it will be a little more clear as we go on. So first, briefly, I just want to look at the word mediator itself in this verse, First uh, Timothy 2.5. And the word in Greek is mesites from mesos, meaning a go-between or a reconciler. And you think, well, why do I need to be reconciled to my family or the relationships I have in this world? Why does there need to be something between me and those good things in my life? And what Bonhoeffer really does a good job of in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, is he points out that Christ is separating people because he calls them as individuals. He is not calling a family of people 
or a tandem of people, a married couple of people. He's not calling a group of friends. He is calling individuals. So he separates you out because he's calling you as an individual, not as a unit. And inherently, I think we already know this because we don't have problems with certain other verses that kind of already point this out. For example, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you all these things. So all these things will be added unto you. So all the good things in your life that you want to hang on to, all the good things that you receive from God, all your blessings, you're allowed to keep those things. You don't have to be separated and then never have those. You only have to be separated enough that Christ can be between you and whatever that thing is, whether it's a father, a mother, a sibling, any relationship in your life, honestly, or anything in your life, you can't hold Christ lower than that thing. So we do understand this inherently. When we say put God first, we have no problem with that. But when Christ says, I come to separate these things, you and all the good things in your life, he comes to do it by stepping in between you and those things as a mediator, as a midway point between you and all the good things in your life. This can also be understood by looking at the scripture that is in James uh, chapter 1, And we also have no problem with this. It says, James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So everything good is from God already, or it's through God that we have all of these good things. This is true already. We have no problem reading this verse. It only, again, is a problem when we think of God separating us from those good things that he gives us. But this is actually just describing the nature of how it is when you have a right relationship with God and the good things in your life. God comes first and then those things. God gives us those things through himself or through Christ we're given good things. So when we look at it in this way, it makes it a little more easy to understand, a little more palatable for us, because it isn't just God coming and saying, I've given you good things, and now I'm taking them all away from you, which he has the full right to do, but that's not what he's saying. He is saying that he comes first, and none of us have a problem with that. Sometimes, though, when the stakes get a little bit higher, we do start to have a problem. And this, I think, is exemplified in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And that is also what uh, Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, like I've already mentioned three times before, that's what he goes to as well that really was um, so clarifying for me on this point. So in Genesis 22, I think the story is familiar, but we're going to go through it um, for those of you who aren't familiar and also just as a good reminder uh, to clarify this point. Genesis 22 um, says, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. So then Abraham gets up, he loads up his donkey, takes his servants, and Isaac, um, I'm obviously paraphrasing to go through the story here, and um, verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, so he knew where he needed to go, and then he leaves his servants there at this place farther away so that him and just Isaac can go and do this offering. And then um, 
it says the two of them went together. And in verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood is here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then they went on together. Then they get there. And they, so they, they're climbing this mountain and Abraham knows that he is going to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And they get to the top of the mountain that God told him to go to. He arranges an altar of wood and he bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And so this pivotal moment, this climactic scene where it's like, oh man, what's going to happen here? God here is separating man and his boy. So father and son He's here to separate. He's he's here to take this away. And we look at this and we have a hard time, I think. I I always have anyways. Um, I Like everybody else, I reconcile this by saying, well, God is the authority. He gave Isaac so he can take Isaac away. So he is perfectly right in requesting this of him. But still, it feels wrong just as a human being on a very uh, human base level. This feels wrong. The difference here for me that made this so much easier to understand, so much easier to bear as a human with obviously flawed perception, is what Bonhoeffer says in his book, and I'm going to read it for you. It's a, it's a long quote. It's about a page long, but this is what really brought it home for me. And he's here talking about breaches in relationships so that Christ can come between us and the things or the people he brings into our lives, the good things. He comes between us by creating these breaches. And this is what he does with Isaac and Abraham here. And he says in his book here, it says, The breach with all our immediate relationships is inescapable. It may take the form of an external breach with family or nation. In that case, we shall be called upon to bear visibly the reproach of Christ. Or it may be a hidden and a secret breach. But even then, we must always be ready to come out into the open. In the last resort, it makes no difference whether the breach be secret or open. And so this is um, him first. He's kind of like prefacing this idea of breaches or separation that God creates between us and the good things in our lives. And then he goes on to say, Abraham is an example of both. And we just looked through the story and he's going to explain it now. He had to leave his friends and his father's house because Christ came between him and his own. On this occasion, the breach was evident. So Abraham became a stranger and a sojourner in order to gain the promised land. This was his first call, or this was his first breach. Later on, he was called by God to offer his own son Isaac as a sacrifice. This this line right here is really the thing that gave me chills. It says, Christ had come between the father of faith and the child of promise. This time, the direct relationship, not only of flesh and blood, but also of the spirit, must be broken. Abraham must learn that the promise does not depend on Isaac, but on God alone. No one else hears this call of God, not even the servants who accompanied Abraham to Mount Moriah. Once again, as when he left his father's house, Abraham becomes an individual, a lonely and solitary figure. He accepts the call as it comes. He will not shirk it or spiritualize it. He takes God at his word and is ready to obey. Against every direct claim upon him, whether natural, ethical, or religious, he will be obedient to the word of God. 
By his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, he shows that he is prepared to come out into the open with the breach which he had already made secretly, and to do so for the sake of the mediator. And at that very moment, all that he had surrendered was given back to him. He receives back his son. God shows him a better sacrifice which will take the place of Isaac. The tables are completely turned. Abraham receives Isaac back, but henceforth he will have his son in quite a new way through the mediator and for the mediator's sake. Since he had shown himself ready to obey God literally, he is now allowed to possess Isaac, though he had him not, to possess him through Jesus Christ. No one else knows what has happened. Abraham comes down from the mountain with Isaac just as he went up, but the whole situation has changed. Christ has stepped between father and son. Abraham had left all and followed Christ, and as he follows him, he is allowed to go back and live in the world as he has done before. Outwardly, this is the last line here, very important line, outwardly the picture is unchanged, but the old is passed away, and behold, all things are new. Everything has had to pass through Christ. So I know that was a long passage, but I really, really thought that was um, very illuminating on these sections where it's hard to understand that things have to be separated from us. Christ, like I said, calls us as individual people, not as groups or units or families. And this can be hard to hear, even though in other ways we accept it wholeheartedly when we say things like seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, or that God is is and should be first in our lives. We accept those with no problem until it seems that Christ is separating us from the things he's given us and the good gifts that we want to hang on to. And then we say, oh man, that sword feels uncomfortable. And honestly, it can be. It's not supposed to be an easy thing when Christ calls us to just give up everything we had, but it's still what's expected of us. I want to turn to one last scripture that I think really illuminates all that we've been talking about today, and that is in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 15 through 20. So Colossians 1 verse 15 and 20, I think really outlines that this isn't Christ being cruel when he says that he brings a sword to separate us from father and and mother or siblings or friends. This isn't Christ being cruel. It's just explaining the nature of an appropriate relationship with him and with all the things in our lives, even if they're good things. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So that that line, especially right there, he is before all things. In our minds and in our hearts, he should be before all things. Not just timeline-wise, but he is first in our lives, and in him all things consist. Verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may have the preeminence in all things. And then 19 and 24, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace 
through the blood of his cross. So this is explaining that a key part of our relationship with Christ is to put him at the center of it. We already know that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And we already know that we should be seeking Christ, seeking God the Father, seeking the kingdom, and seeking his righteousness above all things. And we already know that God should be first in our lives. So, whenever Christ tries to step between you and a good thing, just know that it's not him being cruel. It's not him trying to not give you good things or to take good things away from you as punishment or whatever you might think it is. It is him assuming his natural place in your life for a good and positive relationship with him. So when Christ bears a sword and tries to put separation between you and the good and the bad things in your life, let him. Because that is exactly where he belongs, between you and everything else, as he calls you as an individual into his kingdom. Thank you all so much for listening. Really hope you found this enjoyable and beneficial. I was really excited to present it to you, so I hope I presented it well. Um, please tune in next time and share with your friends. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere where podcasts stream. Really appreciate any support you could give by leaving reviews or uh, sharing with people. I really, really appreciate all of that. So until next time, keep on thinking critically about your Bible, and thanks again.